Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Well, if you love Jesus, say amen. So I got all this stuff going on in my head watching this service. First of all, I want to talk to all the parents. Secondly, I want to talk about the offering. Thirdly, I just can't help it. I just got all this stuff. I'm thinking, boy, if he had as much experience as me, he would have said this and this and this. And uh, no, I'm just playing. I'm not going to look at him. You see, I'm not looking up, right? Just playing here. A little father-son fun time. Yeah, this is great. You know, you know, in the scripture, Old Testament, they dedicated the children on the eighth day. And it was an actual act where the parents actually came forward. So this idea is not something we came up with in Christianity. First, it began with Judaism. and was passed over that there would be a moment where the parents would make a commitment. That moment of commitment this morning that you made is like Hannah for his whole life. This morning, it's pretty easy. But if God calls them to the mission field, it's going to be a little more difficult. Amen, Pastor. That was good. Yeah, I know. (laughs) See, the idea is once you put them in the hands of the Lord, you're going to live the life and example, and you're going to create the atmosphere in the home. You're going to bring them to the house of God. But you really said, God, not only are we going to do this, but someday you're going to call them to be something, do something. You're going to reveal to them what their life purpose is. And when we know it's you, we're going to still say they're yours, not just this morning. Amen? Amen? This was a big day today for you. You made a big commitment. Something big's going to happen. Just may take a while before you see it. You got to raise those little rascals first, don't you? What a great thing. Amen. What an honor when Ryan called me and said, Dad, if we want to plan one where you're really there on purpose and not just accidental and be a part of a process. And, and so I'm in this series, and I want you to take this piece of the series where Jesus made the declaration, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, what a great opportunity. What a great passage to walk through. So we're going we're gonna to dive into that pretty deep today, and, and the Lord's going to speak to us. But I've learned this. The voice of the Lord is only good if there's ears to hear it. So let's open our ears, amen? amen. Let's ask God to give us a heart that's ready to receive. Let's pray that together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's yea and amen. It does not return void. It is a lamp. It is light. It is bread. It's creative. It's wonderful. But it's of no value if we don't listen and hear and receive. And we can only hear if you open our ears. We can only grasp it if you open our mind to have the ability to understand it and our heart, the ability to accept it. So even before we hear your word, we say today, God, open our hearts and our ears and our minds. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and to us as individuals. Teach us your word. Teach us, show us, reveal to us. Let us hear it. We thank you for doing this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I take the passage out of Matthew 27, 45. 
It said from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anytime God asks a question, remember Jesus is the Son of God, therefore Jesus is deity, he is God. Anytime God asks a question, it's almost always, probably always, for our benefit, not for his. Because there's no question he can ask that he doesn't know the answer to. When he asked Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to think about it. When he said, Adam, why, why, who told you you were naked? Well, he knew what had happened, but he wanted Adam to think about it. When God asks the question, it's so we'll hear it and think about it. So the real thing is for us to say, hey, God, why did you forsake Jesus? The real thing is for us to ask the question and wonder what kind of question we would ask when sometimes we feel like God has forsaken us. The reality is he was saying, and for our benefit, remember, he was saying, my God. He was not just saying a God or any God, but he was saying, God, my God, the one who pursued me, the one who made me, the one who called me, and to whom I have surrendered and committed my life. We can say those same things. The one who called me the son and said, I was pleasing you. The one who anointed me to do good works. The one who caused my special birth through a virgin. Now, we can't say that. Why have you forsaken me? The one who made me in the beginning, put me in my mother's womb, forged me and formed me, that gave me life experiences and affected my walk, who has called me and drawn me and worked at me, who we've developed this relationship, and all of a sudden I'm at a moment where I feel forsaken of you. And so this question becomes our question. It literally becomes, not only was God saying it so that we would understand that there is a time when it seems God forsakes us. And there's a time when that question seemed to be right and was right for him, and it is right for us when we want to ask, hey, God, what's going on? We've been pursued by you. We couldn't even know you except the Spirit drew us to you, except you wanted to know us, except you came after us. It seemed like, God, everywhere I turned, there you were. You seemed to want a relationship with me. And then I come into the relationship, and we were doing well. Then all of a sudden, I can't find you. Why? What a great word. We're all unique in purpose and unique in design, our place in the kingdom. We've all been formed and shaped in our mother's womb and formed and shaped by life, and we can all see God's hand all over us. And when we grasp that reality and we know he's for us, he's not against us, and then there are those moments when we can't find him. Why would God forsake you? How could we add to that question if it were us praying the prayer? Would we ask also, have I failed you, God? Have I sinned? Have I offended you? Have I done something so grotesquely wrong that you don't want to be around me anymore? Have I entered into some sin so deep that finally there is a sin you will not come and save me from? Is, is it possible that my attitude is so bad? Is it possible you've changed that after all those millennials of being who you are, you're not that anymore? Is this loneliness and emptiness necessary? Is there a value in it or a purpose? 
Why has our relationship changed? Help me, God. Why have you forsaken me? There's not a one of us. And if you've been living for God for long enough, there's not a one of us that has not had a moment where you didn't feel God's presence at the same level you felt his presence previously. There's not a one of us that hasn't went through times where we just wondered. I mean, I remember when, God, it felt like everywhere I turned, you were there. Everything I did seemed to have your blessing. Every word I spoke seemed to have your help. You and I, boy, we were just like this. And now all of a sudden, it's not that way anymore. It seems it's changed. And so I've heard all kinds of people say all kinds of things. You know, if, if you're not with God, it's not him that moved. It's you that walked away. I, be careful. That doesn't necessarily stay. Stand up purely in Scripture. Because even Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know there was no sin in his life. We know he had not disobeyed God. It was obedience that put him on the cross. We know that he was as righteous and right as he could be. And yet there was this moment of declaration, and he declared it for us. So that we could understand a little bit about our walk with God. See, the problem with God's presence is there... By by the way, there's not a problem with God's presence. I'm setting you up. I thought maybe, maybe I should let you know I was setting you up. The problem with God's presence is a problem for certain things like death and sorrow and sickness. Because there are certain things that can't come into his presence. The Bible teaches us about the fullness of heaven. It says when we get into heaven, in the fullness of heaven, there won't be any sorrow. There won't be any mourning. There won't be any death. There won't be any sickness. None of that can get there because it cannot enter there. Because the presence of God is so awesome, there are some things that just really can't approach God. They just can't get in. He is too holy, too righteous, too powerful. And the idea of being able to approach God is beyond them. And sometimes those things are actually valuable in our life and in the work that God is doing in us. And the only way they can get close enough to us to have any impact that would ultimately be for our good, I'll show you that in the end, is for God to make a little room. That's almost enough right there, isn't it? See, proximity is a powerful thing. Proximity is how we have seasons in the life, in the world we live in. You know this. I'm, I, I'm, by, I'm no, by no means a science teacher, but if, if this were the sun and this were the earth, we know that the orbit is not a pure circle, but it's kind of oblong. And as the sun moves further from the earth and the proximity changes, so does the season. That when we are closest to the sun, our season is summer. And we warm up. And there are things that can happen in the atmosphere created by the summer season that are very special and very unique. But as the proximity changes and we suddenly get further and further from the sun and we get out here and the season shifts to winter, there's a, that season creates an atmosphere that different things can happen that couldn't happen in the summer. And so the proximity literally determines the season. Season determines the atmosphere. And atmosphere determines determines what can happen. 
In the same way in our walk with God, there are times where it seems our proximity to God is not what it once was. It is moved to a place that almost feels as though he has forsaken us. But in that distance from him, there is a season created and an atmosphere so that things that could not happen here close to God that need to happen because they're a part of the full cycle of health and life, they can happen now in that proximity that they couldn't have before. Winter is a necessary part of the life cycle. Winter is when the roots grow. Winter is when it gets dormant on top and and the trees stop producing and there's no fruit and there's no leaf. But as it becomes dormant and the sap is drawn low, now the roots, now they begin to do what they couldn't do while all the effort was in producing fruit. Now in that season, things begin to shift. Things can happen. That could not happen. And the proximity to the sun has determined the season, which has determined the atmosphere, which has now allowed the roots to expand in a place they could not expand before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the distance that's been created has put you in a position to do things and grow things and become something that you never could have become just in the fullness of my presence and in the joy of my presence. Is this making sense to you? It's an incredible thing that happens. Abandoned and deserted, we we use those terms, but we need to be careful that we don't misunderstand it because abandoned is not really what it is. It's it's forsaken, yes, but abandoned, no. Behold, the hour is coming in John 16, 22. Let's let me read you this. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when all you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now, what does that have to do with anything, Pastor, in this sermon? Let me show you. Abandonment by friends creates more space to know God. Now, just, just, let, me, just let me walk through three quick points. I think it's in your notes. But what happens when, when our friends abandon us, when, when the difficulty of life, and so sometimes, sometimes in the development of our spiritual man, our walking, our becoming who God wants us to be. There are times when it seems like we, our friends don't want to be around us anymore. The people that we've been able to depend on are suddenly not very dependable. The people we've wanted to be with, we're not even sure we want to be with, and we're sure they don't want to be with us. And, and it's just a shift, and we find ourselves more alone. In the case of Jesus, he's describing the disciples when the pressure was on, when the soldiers came, when they should have stood up. Peter was pretty quick to draw his sword, and Jesus said, that's not exactly what I had in mind, Peter. And he cut the guy's ear off. Jesus healed his ear, and Jesus reminded Peter, taught us a great life lesson. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Great moment. I wish I could teach that whole thing, but I don't have time. So what happens is they leave him. Now Jesus is alone. Peter did follow for a while, Peter, James. Both went into the courtyard. They followed Jesus in there. and They were there for a part of the, of the mock trial that was taking place. And then Peter got called out. Aren't you? No, not me. And, and, our, and so my little girl said to him, Aren't you want to hit? No, not me. And he cussed just to make his point. Anytime a Christian has to cuss to make a point, there's something wrong. Boy, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> you got the point. And so this incredible moment happens, and then Peter realizes what he's done, and he runs out. Jesus is completely alone, just Jesus. But he had said to him, it's all right that you've abandoned me. 
because the Father is not going to. He'll be with me. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered when the life support systems we've built around us that we've learned to lean on and trust in, sometimes they literally become a hindrance to keep us from knowing God in the fullness of who he is. And God will literally allow those things. Usually our first response is, God, why have you let my friends run off? Why have you let the systems I've trusted in all my life fail? Why have you let the job I've always thought was the perfect job suddenly go away? Why are those things breaking apart on me and suddenly they're not here? And in that case, it's God saying, because I want you to know that I'm more than sufficient for all that you'll ever need in life. And he uses those moments to draw us to him and to make us to be who we should be in our dependence on him development in him. He will literally allow our external part of life that we've depended on to just vanish so that we would know him. He even went through it himself. Those he trusted in, those he loved, those he had put his hope in. Now they're gone. When he needs them the very most, I mean, when the moment comes, this is it. This is when the pressure's on. This is when he had spent the night in prayer and he'd prayed so, so hard and so determined that he literally began to sweat drops of blood. I mean, the pressure was on. This is when he needed them. And isn't that how it often is when we need them the most? But God's saying, no, I want to show you that I'm big enough for this and actually uses the abandonment by friends to create more space for us to know God. Wow. I better keep moving. In John 13, 33, he said this to him. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Sometimes that abandonment by Jesus, that feeling of abandonment, I told you that word was too strong already, but I'm using it anyway to prove my point. That abandonment feeling of Jesus forsaken me, left me alone. Why? So that just the opposite of what I've already said can happen, that I may connect to people he wants me to connect to, that I may understand the importance of the church. Sometimes I say to God, Lord, I don't like those people at church. I just want you and me, just you and me, because I trust you. I've got to know you, and you're faithful, and you're good. Those people at church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They don't have their act together. You can't depend on them. They'll let me down. They've let other people down. And boy, I can get rough on the church. And then Jesus will say to me, let me help you, son. That's my church you're talking about. They're just as redeemed as you are, and you're just as messed up as they are. The truth is, the church is how I do it. It's what I do. The church, and in the church, oh, we could go to Corinthians and break it down, chapter 12. We could go to Romans and look at some, again, chapter 12, how he breaks down the understanding of the church. Some of us are ears, and some are eyes, and some are feet, and some are hands. And we have all these different parts of the body of Christ, and together we make this one incredible body. And if we're trying to be separate from that, you know what God will do? He will actually, we'll have something we need. We'll say, Lord, I need a so-and-so. He'll say, all right, I'm going to give it to that brother over there and he'll deliver it to you. I don't like that brother, God. I don't even want to get to know that brother. Won't you just give it straight to me? And God said, well, see, I know your issue with him. So I'm going to give it to him. And the only way you can get to what you need is to form a relationship with him. 
It's a, it's a beautiful passage. I wish I had time to break that down too. That's a whole message on missions and everything. It's all in that little sharing that takes place in the church that when the missionary wants to go, the missionary has to be sent from the church and we have to bring the money and supply. It's that connection point. And again and again, we can make those connections. And we have these things in our life and sometimes Jesus will say, I'm just going to back off because I want you to reconnect to the church. I want you to find that the church is my body. It is how I work and how I function. And your needs will be there. And if you do not choose to connect to my church, you will go without until you make the decision to do what I do the way I do it. And he won't help us directly. He'll help us indirectly. And that's what he said to them. I'm going to go away. And the last thing he said to them was then, you better love one another. Because that's how it's going to function. Now, both of those, they seem to be radically opposite but they're both seasons. Say seasons. Seasons. They're both seasons. Seasons created by proximity that produce atmosphere that allow something to happen now that couldn't happen before. And there are seasons where I can't seem to find God, but I can find the church and I can find the people that I need and the help that I need. There are other seasons where I'm still in the church, but, but, uh, but, but I, I'm not as connected there as I am with God directly. And I find God in a way I've not known him before. Oh, I don't quit attending church. But I just, I just it, there's a shift in the season that takes place that literally lets me grow differently than I have before. Is this, is this still making sense to you? So let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sometimes, sometimes we're abandoned. It seems to be that we're abandoned by God and the church. We can't find friends and we can't find God. Why? It's in those moments that we find out who we really are. There's nothing like being alone to discover yourself. There's nothing like those moments where I can't depend on somebody to do this for me and I can't get God to help me and all of my arrogance and all of my pride that I thought I was pretty good when I had a great supporting staff. And I thought I was pretty good when really it was the grace of God and not me at all. And those times where we're finding victory and success simply because of the others that God has put around us and because of his grace toward us, we can literally become prideful and arrogant. Let's pick on Peter again. Why, Lord, I'll never. Pulls his sword. I don't know that he really did, but that's how I see it. Standing in front of all the other disciples. I'll die with you. I'll fight for you. Oh, he was good in that room, wasn't he? He was good. He had all his buddies, and they're all going, oh, Peter, what a, what a warrior. What a, what a victorious warrior. He is something else. I mean, we thought he was just a fisherman. Come to find out. He's like Superman. He can, he can do anything. Oh, Mr. Peter, he is so, wow, we are so impressed. He was feeling so good about himself. And then when the pressure came and they weren't there, and Jesus was over there separated, he discovered who he really was. Sometimes... We have to have that moment of feeling so forsaken and so alone. We, we're, we're probably not going to like ourselves. We're probably going to be like Peter more than we wish we were. And we're going to discover we weren't who we thought we were. We're not as good as we thought we were. We're not as faithful as we thought we were. We don't have the faith we thought we had. We're just not. We just had begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. 
as he said in that passage. And it's in those moments that all of that is revealed. The truth comes. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years is that you can never move beyond your revelation. That how you see God, how you see yourself, that sets a lid for, for all of us. And anytime God's going to move that lid, it's going to reveal more of who he is, more of his purpose for our life to us. He always begins by revealing more of us to us. It's amazing how good we think we are. And then God shows us we're not so good. And then we say, God, I can't believe I've become like this. And God said, no, no, you've always been like this. I mean, last year I was incredible. This year, I'm not so good. He said, last year, you weren't good either. (laughs) Last year, you were good because I gave you supporting staff. You were good because I gave you grace. You've never been that good. I'm just letting you know so it can bring you to a place and a a place to stand and a, and a, and a perspective that'll let you see me in a way I'm about to show you me and my purpose the way I'm about to show my purpose. Every bit of that's affected by the atmosphere we're in. What we can see, what we can understand, who we can come. Atmosphere is affected, obviously, by the season, which is affected by proximity. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that I can mold you and make you into all you're supposed to be. So I can show you you. So I can show you me. So I can show you the church. So I can show you your place. So I can position you in a way that I can mold you and make you into all you should be. And if all you ever have is proximity to me, you will think of yourself higher than you should. You will not understand the value of the church the way you should. And you will not really know me in the way you can. Well, hey, wait. Well, if I'm close to God, how can I not know him? No, let me tell you. There is a different view of God with every placement because with every placement comes a new perspective. One of my favorite stories in the scripture, I love to tell this because I just, it just I, it, the first time I saw it when I was studying the Bible, it just it's lit me up. And, and that starts with Isaiah. And I'm not going to read it to you. It'd take too long. But it starts with Isaiah. It's in chapter 6. Isaiah said, and on the day of the Lord, I was in prayer, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. It was the same year that King Uzziah died, he said. I had a vision. It was incredible. He said, I was caught up into the heavens. And then he describes what he saw. And one of the things he describes, and it's an incredible story, but he describes these cherubim, he calls them, and they're flying around the throne of God. He said, they have six wings. Two of them, they cover their face because of the glory of God. Two of them, they cover their feet to hide any shame. And with the other two, they're flying and they're calling one to the other. One to the other. And so they're flying. There's four of them. And so they're flying around like this. And they're keeping the same distance. And they're flying. And so one's hollering across the throne to the other one. And he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then that one cries back. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then this one over here said, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. I don't know how it really goes. I just know that's their terminology. And they cry back and forth one to the other. I thought that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's almost like every time they move a little bit, they see God for the first time. And you think that's crazy. We get all the way over to the book of 
of, of Revelation. That's the other end of the Bible. And John the Revelator, John that wrote the book of Revelation, is on the Isle of Patmos. And he gets caught up into the heavens. He sees the same thing. Same heaven, same place. He sees the same thing. And John tells what he saw. And he said, and there were these four dudes. And they're flying around the throne. Now do the math. It's 4,000 years later. And these guys are still flying. And they're still impressed with God. And they're still declaring holy, holy, holy as though they've seen him for the first time. You know what happens in our life is that as we move through these different seasons, that every time we come to a new season, we get a new perspective of who our God is. And every season we see something we didn't know. And we say one more time, holy, holy, holy is my God. In the winter, where we're dormant on top, and we can't find his presence. And we wonder where he is. And we stand with Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But something's happening down under the root system. Something deep in our life. And we can even say there, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The 23rd Psalm, incredible Psalm. There's a little part in it that said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's King James, you understand. What's he saying to us? He's saying, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. It's dark, it's scary, and it's lonely. I can't see God, I can't hear God, I can't find God. But there is his staff and his rod. There is a little bump when I'm not sure where to go. There is a tap on my shoulder when I'm too close to the edge. There is a little nudge when I'm not keeping pace with God. I don't see him, I don't feel him, I don't even hear his voice. But I know God in a way in that valley that I never knew him on the mountaintop. I know that nudge that I didn't know when I could see his face. It's different. But he really hadn't abandoned me. I don't, I don't think you can even beat what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What's he saying? He said, well, you can't have spring if you haven't had winter. You can't have revival if you haven't had some time where there seemed to be dormant. That whole cycle. Death is at work, but it doesn't win. A feeling of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a real feeling. 
but you've not been abandoned. There's a moment. There's a time when the work that that atmosphere has made room for has been completed in your life. When it's more than a nudge is needed and I'm coming up out of the valley, I'll begin to see the sun. It'll shine on his face. I'll see him again. I'll hear his voice again. It'll come. But what I gained in that moment, that perspective, will stay with me forever. And there'll be another time. There'll be another cycle when I'll say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have I sinned? Yes. You've really never stopped. <laughs> have I, have I, is it, I, I got all these little things. God's just said, yeah, yeah, but that's not the issue. The real reason my blood's covered your sin the real reason is so you can know me in a way you've not known me before and see me in a way you've not seen me before and cry with those little cherubim as they fly around holy 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 is the Lord Almighty Father we ask you to speak to us today we ask you in the beginning to give us ears to hear Lord, there's some today that are, they're in that moment in their life where they can think back to times where you seem so close to them, but right now you seem so far removed. Death that needs to work in them, struggles that need to happen in them in order for them to, they couldn't get there in your presence. You were too dominating. But now God, now some things are happening that didn't happen before. People are abandoning them, things that, Everything was blessed then. Now it seems to be different. And yet there's a deep work being done. They've been discouraged by this. They've asked your question. I pray for them today. Today. And even as they've heard this word, it's that little staff giving them that nudge they need. It's that tap on the shoulder, putting them back in line. It's bringing them to a place where they can, in the midst of their winter, say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. A faith and a confidence being renewed. I pray it for them, God. I pray that this season would accomplish everything in them that is necessary so that they have the roots big enough and deep enough to bear great fruit in the season that's coming. I pray, oh God, I pray your mercy and your grace be shown to them today. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.